Welcome to the Soul Summit Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Levesque. I'm here to bridge the gap for women in the outdoors, build a community of adventure junkies, and roll out your weekly dose of positive vibes. With almost two decades in the health and fitness world and an untamable passion for hunting and the outdoors, my mission is to help you live a bucket list life and move boldly in the direction of your dreams. Meet us here weekly as I connect with like-minded men and women to discuss health and mindset, accountability, life and entrepreneurship, as well as all things hunting and epic untold stories. Well, I have to say, I am really, really excited to share this episode, which I feel like I say every time, but I just recently went back and listened to this episode because it was first on my friend Dave Brinker's show, The Altitude Podcast. And this was a recording we did for his show where he and I got deep into a conversation uh, about balancing life. And it seems like this is a topic that is covered all the time. It's certainly something that I think about all the time. And And really in the core of my being, I feel like life's balance, whether that is with your family or your finances or with your uh, fitness or nutrition or any realm, honestly, balance is something that we're constantly facing um, this kind of yin and yang. Like, how do I do more? How am I more productive? How do I unplug? How do I tap into the things that need me the most? And really feeling like you're doing all those things well. I know many of us wear multiple hats and have multiple primary jobs, such as being a parent and also a full-time employee or being a business owner or caretaking for family members. So there's a lot of things that can pull us in lots of different directions. But Dave and I in this episode talk about what we think balance looks like and how to do it while giving yourself grace. We also talk about family and productivity, finding your focus, fitness, and so much more. Go follow Dave Brinker. He's an awesome dude, family man. He's making music. He has a real estate company selling hunting properties and lease properties. Um, He's just a great guy. And I think that you really enjoy him. His name is Dave Brinker. And again, this is an audio recording from his podcast, The Altitude Show. All right, without further ado, let's do it. This show hands down could not happen without the amazing support of some incredible companies. Let's take a word from today's sponsors. With the most technically advanced barrel manufacturing techniques, state-of-the-art machinery, and an unwavering commitment to quality, Bagara has become the barrel source of numerous top-tier gun manufacturers in both Europe and the United States. Bagara is producing a full line of precision firearms engineered and built to showcase the performance capabilities of their world-class barrels. At their core, Bagara believes that a precision firearm requires not only the best components, but also an assembly process that is carried out by individuals who are the best of the best at their craft. Whether you're a backcountry hunter and want a rifle that doesn't compromise accuracy for weight, a long-range competition shooter, or just looking to get started with your first rifle, Bagara has something for everyone. Head to bagara.online.com to take a look now. That's B-E-R-G-A-R-A dot O-N-L-I-N-E dot com. Sawyer offers family-friendly insect repellent for your skin, clothing, and gear. Protect yourself and your loved ones from disease-carrying ticks and mosquitoes before your next adventure. Whether you're an expecting mother or using around your favorite four-legged friends, Sawyer has an insect repellent option to keep you protected. In fact, a 2017 study found 
By treating your boots and socks alone with permethrin, you can reduce your chances of a tick bite by 73.6%. Don't wait until it's too late. Head to Sawyer.com to take a look at their entire line of products. That's Sawyer.com. If you haven't checked out Maven Optics yet, you're missing out. Maven offers award-winning optics sold direct with no middleman and no retail markup. I've spent the last six years using Maven Glass all over the nation and without fail, my optics have matched even the top three optics companies. But because Maven sells consumer direct, you pay a fraction of the cost. Don't take my word for it. Jump online, read the reviews, and see why people choose Maven Optics. Head to mavenbuilt.com to check it out. See everything from their rangefinders with 4,500-yard capabilities to introductory binoculars and their award-winning scopes. Use the code SOULSUMMIT-GIFT and get a little something extra just for listening into the podcast. That's mavenbuilt.com with the code SOULSUMMIT-GIFT. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Altitude Show. I'm your host, Dave Brinker. Uh, today, we have Courtney Lavosk on the podcast. I'm super excited to have her on. We've been friends for a while now, and uh, she's a super inspiring chick. And I uh, welcome. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to be a guest on your show, and it's nice to have the tables reversed here a little bit and get to just yeah. chit-chat on a d- another platform. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, I've been a guest on her podcast a couple times now, I think, twice. Yep, yep. And uh, we've been trying to get together and do another one, but we've had a little scheduling issues. Hello, show season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we were both, uh, let's see, you were probably did more, sh- more shows this year than I did, but uh, the outdoor show season, for those who aren't in the industry, um, these trade shows, they, they happen usually from January through February, sometimes into early March. And uh, there's a lot of people out there that have to travel that whole time and uh, spend four or five days on these, sometimes up to 10 days on these trade show floors in one case. Uh, And Courtney goes to several. I used to go to almost all of them. um, But now I uh, have chose to focus only on a couple just being a family man and but quality. uh yeah how, how was the quality was, over quantity for sure yeah how was the trail it's been really good uh i think honestly for me it was nice to just kind of step back into that you know dip my toe in the water a bit uh but it's been it's been a lot of fun catching up with people just getting to see new folks you know meet people that haven't got out for a while actually this year i talked to a lot of people um on a consumer side that were just coming into shows for the first time so i think people are just excited to get out and reconnect with others and share stories and just kind of feel that normalcy again yeah it definitely felt like there was like a backlog and of like people just wanting to get the hell out of their houses and and see all their friends you know a lot especially on the industry side of it, like a lot of these people that go to these shows, they don't, they don't see each other except at these shows. You literally have show friends that you're like, Hey, it's been a year, you know, what's up? Let's go get a beer or whatever. Uh, and then from the consumer side, yeah, I mean, most of the shows were canceled last year. There was a couple that happened. And then the year before that, all of them basically were canceled. So, uh, Courtney and I were at the Salt Lake show here a few weeks ago. Um, it's called the Western Hunting Expo. And uh, it was like people were chomping at the bit. I've been to that show probably 10 times at this point. 
And I think that was probably the busiest I've seen it. I don't know if the numbers reflect that, but it felt like the energy level was like super high because people were like, yeah, you know, uh, humans communicating. Mm -hmm. Like I get a, like COVID's gone. (laughs) Right. No, I felt that same thing. And I was really only there for about 24 hours or so, but um, same vibes. You know, I picked up on that too. People were just really excited to be there. And uh, I left Friday evening, so I knew Saturday and Sunday were just going to be totally crazy. But again, really just good to connect because I think that's what this community is about. You know, the the hunting industry, whether you're inside or outside or however you want to look at that, like it is community and it is getting to have those conversations and, you know, squeeze people and, and have a beer and just catch up. And I think that's that kind of reunites us. And so, yeah, I'm really excited to go into the spring and into summer, lots of fun plans this fall, just kind of having that little extra pep in my step and motivation to get out there and crush it in the mountains. Absolutely. So, so Courtney, for those that don't know uh, much about you, could you just give us a little bit of background on who you are and where you came from? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm a small town girl, lived here in Oregon my entire life. I still live four driveways down from where I grew up as a kid. Um, So I kind of have to branch out for work a little bit. I try to adventure as much as I can um, just to see what's outside of this little town. But um, I've spent the last 20 years in the fitness industry. I learned from a very young age uh, that I was really driven to just help other people succeed Um, recover from injuries or surgeries or traumas. And so at 17, I got my first uh, fitness certification and just kind of kept rolling from there. Uh, Ended up creating my own business that over time evolved to really um, understanding that I love helping outdoor men and women achieve more in the mountains, kayaking, um, through hiking, all of that kind of stuff. So really catered to that. And then... um, I have two little boys. So creating an entrepreneurial business that I could cater to people and coach and help inspire, but also allow me the flexibility to be a mom to them and pick up and drop off and sports was really important. So, you know, I was able to kind of mold my business into something that really worked for me as a single mom. Um, And it's been absolutely amazing. Uh, Loved every minute of it. Loved my clients. It's been great. But I have, and I haven't talked about this publicly yet, but I did just officially retire from the fitness industry, which was a really long process. Actually, it took me a couple of years to finally go like, you need to let this go. It's okay. It is not your identity and you can reform who you are. Um, doesn't matter what you've done for 20 years. You know, you can be Courtney, something else other than fitness. And so um, I've really just dove in the last few years into uh, business development and marketing and just love all assets and aspects of creating and building community for people. Because I think that's sometimes what we miss is that interconnection to other people who share, you know, similar passions. And, and uh, so here I am just kind of figuring it out and bumping my head against the wall. But were you, uh, was your family like super health nuts or like, where did you get that? No, my family is not health nuts actually. Where, so where did um, that come from? where did your drive come from? Cause you're pretty disciplined. I've, I've paid attention for a while. I try to exercise at least five days a week. But I think I've told you this before. I've always been inspired by people like you and others that are around me that 
just that discipline level. It seems like my fitness like ebbs and flows. Like I'll get super into it and then I'll kind of, it'll die off for a few months. It'll fizzle. But, sure. and then I know people like you, that's like always the same, no matter what. So like, where does that discipline come from? If your family wasn't like that? Uh, well, the, the not so pretty part of the story was it came from trauma. Uh, mm. when I was young. Um, so I, my first job was as a lifeguard, which very quickly evolved into me doing fitness group, fitness classes. And then I went through some things in my life and coupled with depression. And I just was not a healthy human being. Like uh, at an early teenage age, I was like binge drinking and drinking too much. And I ran away from home and just had a really not great because of the choices I was making lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so through those things, I guess I hit a point where I knew something had to change, but I didn't necessarily have that intrinsic motivation to make the changes I needed. And then I got pregnant, <laughs> um, which at the time was really scary. And um, I was 21, but I was just still a complete, you know, uh, nightmare, Maybe. I guess. Yeah. I was just a kid, you know, and I didn't know any better and I was not making the best choices and I was still doing fitness coaching. And, uh, I just, I knew at that moment, my life had to change. And so, um, actually the day I found out I was pregnant, like I even smoked cigarettes, Brinker, like just, just the opposite of what somebody could picture me now, you know? And, uh, I gave everything up that day. I mean, I wasn't doing like street drugs or anything, but I was like drinking too much and smoking cigarettes. And, and I quit that day and I said, okay, I'm going to start walking every day. And I got a calendar from the dollar store and every day that I'd walk, I would just mark an X. And over time, that consistency from even something simple, like the habit of walking every day made me feel better to the point where I was like, there's something to this movement thing. And so I expanded on my certifications and got my uh, CPT and um, got a certification in nutrition and just really started understanding the power of purposeful movement, um, especially when we're outside. So that's really where that stemmed from. And, um, you know, it, it, it can be hard sometimes because having you know, some family and friends that don't necessarily have that mindset, you have to be rigid to some degree in your um, consistency and your training regimen, and also be able to also be a human being that can show up for people who aren't driven in the same ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it sounds like you were kind of forced into it away via which you could look at as a good or a bad thing. Obviously the trauma is not good, but sometimes traumatic experiences lead us to a healthier, healthier lifestyle. Totally. Totally. It's not, it's not, unfortunately it's not the way we want to be led to a healthier lifestyle, but it seems like that's kind of the way it goes sometimes. Sometimes I feel like that's the only way yeah. because if you don't have that hard, you know, rock bottom mm -hmm. surface, then you're like, why would you ever stop? Why would you ever be, motivated to make better decisions. And I hate to say everything happens for a reason and that like really those bad things that happen are, can be good, but I believe they can. And for me, that was my story mm -hmm. that I took what I went through because I ended up being able to understand where a woman was coming from when she came to me and said, I hate my body. I hate my life because I've been through this, you know, and it just gives you a deeper connection with people. And I think that connection is so incredibly important. Yeah. Yeah. And in, 
the, the, the trauma is also, this is kind of where the discipline comes in though, because anytime I've hit rock bottom or I've seen people around me hit rock bottom, it seems like they're like, they're going to be like, I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to start working out. Like it's like almost like new year's Eve in a way. And then they, they make changes and you know, for a month or a couple months and then their life kind of comes back together into more of their comfort zone again. And then they kind of fall back into the bad habits again. It's like this nasty cycle. So the fact that you were able to pull yourself through that and then continue building on top of that, I mean, obviously I don't know your whole history, but it seems like for the most part, you've continued to move forward since then. Totally. Yep. And, you know, I think it's a motivation as a wavering uh, emotion for a lot of people. Um, you know, some people, there are very, very few people who are just, they're just motivated human beings, but for the general society and general population, we have to muster that up somehow. And it's not, it's an ebb and flow. It's sometimes you're all in and sometimes you're all out and sometimes you're a nightmare and yeah. sometimes you can give a hundred percent and sometimes you show up with 2%. Right. But I think that is what I've figured out is to, when you understand that you're not always going to be motivated mm -hmm. and you feel like showing up for yourself, when you realize that fact, then you go, okay, now I just need to know how to show up for myself when I don't want to. Yeah. yeah and it's much easier said than done. Like showing up specifically like for working out, <clears throat> just about everybody can work out when they want to. Right. Uh, but the hardest part is working out when you don't want to that. And it's really hard to push yourself. I, I struggle with, actually I had this happen this morning. I had my alarm set for five 30 and yesterday I did a really hard, uh, bike ride at five 30 and it just crushed me. Uh, and, uh, I was laying in bed at like five 15. I'm like, Oh my God, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to do that again. I don't want to do that again. But then I'm like, wait a second, this is exactly when you need to do it. That's precisely because yeah. if you do it, then, then everything else, every other time is that much easier, but that's that discipline aspect. Um, yeah. the other times it seems like it's hard to, to get motivated to keep like, I guess, becoming a better human is when, when your life's kind of in the dumps and maybe like something like that's super stressful or, you know, for me, for me, it's personally, it's stress. Like if I'm super duper duper stressed out, that's like the time I should take a break and like work out or, you know, go for a walk or go for a hike or shoot my bow or whatever for like mental and physical health. But sometimes I'm so stressed out. It almost debilitates you. And I've seen other people do this too. Mm -hmm. It's like to where you, you just go to your other habits. It's like, well, screw it. I'll just go get a few beers and, you know, you know, you go to your bad habits as opposed to doing something a little bit more healthy. And you know what? I don't think that's all bad. I really good, don't good, because I good because, because I'm guilty of it. <laughs> <laughs> and so am I. And I, you know what? I think that that balance is more important than really stringent consistency mm. because, because willpower is not necessarily a renewable resource. The more you resist things, the more you are just rigid in your routine the more likely you are to actually fall off. And I know that's a little bit counterintuitive, huh. but sometimes we have to fall off because we have to press that reset button. And it's not even, and, and I say that, but it's not even a fall off, so to speak. 
It's just a balance. It's a balance. Yeah. It's a balance. And you know what? If you want to eat the damn cake, eat the damn cake. If you want to have two beers after whatever, do the thing. Because if you feel like you are neglecting your life and not getting to have some leniency with who you are as a human being, you're going to be more miserable. You're going to be more stressed out. You're going to be more likely to fall off long-term than to have this pretty good foundation of success, fitness, you know, financial business, whatever it is, if you can have a little bit of ebb and flow and have that mindset to where you don't go, you don't look at that and go, Oh, that was a fail. Mm. Right. You just go like, screw it. That's I, I chose to have two beers tomorrow. I'm going to write at five 30, whatever, do those things. Because if you're just too, if you're too straight and narrow, I think you lose some of your joy. I think that you lose some of your connection with other people. And I think you lose some of the things that make you human. That's a really good point. Uh, I think there's certain personalities that can be super stringent and probably live a pretty good life. But I feel like most of us need to have those outlets Mm -hmm. where it's like, you know what? Like, fuck it. Today, I'm like just going to go out with my friends, have a good time, eat that dessert whatever. Um, and I've found that that is the only sustainable way for me to, mm-hmm. to have, uh, to pursue, uh, better mental and physical health. It can't be like, like a good example. One of my, my weaknesses is, uh, alcohol beer, like a beer or a glass of wine. I'm not an alcoholic, but I like a beer or a glass of wine. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like a, you know, a, it's always been like, oh man, that long day, you know, a cold beer in the summer or like a glass of wine in the winter when it's pouring down rain, like that just sounds good to me and I enjoy it. I, I can stop myself. I don't need to get a buzz or get drunk or whatever. I used to, you know, I was just like everybody else in my twenties, but I don't need, I've had plenty of hangovers. I don't need that anymore. No, but and I get worse as you get older. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what I've noticed with it, cause I've, I've gone you know, six month year periods where I didn't drink a drop just to see if I could. And I felt great and it was great. But then it was like, I don't know, man, I'm going out with my buddy today. Like, I'd like to have a beer with him. Like, it's fun. It's like, I don't, so I need, I needed to find that sweet spot where it's like, I know that I, I know I don't need this physically, but I also know that I enjoy it. So I need to have a balance to where it's healthy and I'm not dependent on it, but it's, I I'm not going to just cut it out of my life completely because I do enjoy it in moderation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, sugar's the same way for me. Um, so I think, I think I'll, I'll like, um, so one of my friends is working really hard on, on her health right now. And she gets in these cycles where it's like super duper hardcore, like two, two times a day you know, no sugar, all this stuff. And I get it. It's like all the things that you're supposed to be doing, but also it seems like it's like a vacuum of all fun out of life. And like life's too short to, to not enjoy some things. You don't have to like beat yourself up about having a piece of cake if you're and, health, healthy, you know? Mm-hmm. And if we look at those things, like she's working really hard on her health right now is what you said. What does that mean? Does that mean that is based on her physiological responses? Or does that mean that based on what society has deemed appropriate, uh, healthy, she's working on those things? Mm. And, and, and not to, you know, this is not about her necessarily, but I think that we do this 
as humans, we look at the outside pressures and expectation and comparisons. And then we go, wait, what does healthy mean to me? Yeah. And what do I have to give up? Because we can be healthy, in my opinion, without giving up a lot of things. I mean, granted, you're not using street drugs or doing bad things, but we can be healthy without really having a restrictive lifestyle. It's again, it's balance. Yeah. I, I met, there was a guy in the, in the hunting industry I think he passed away, but his name was Warren Strickland. He was a famous, like one of the top heart surgeons in the country. And I remember like 10 years ago, I, I, I had lunch with him down in uh, uh, Kentucky. And I asked him like, okay, you're a heart surgeon, you know, what's the key to keeping a healthy heart or something like that? I can't remember the exact question. He goes, do you move? Yeah, I move. Do you eat okay? Yeah, I eat okay. He's like, you're fine. Oh, I know what it was. They were, uh, they were serving hot dogs. I'm like, <laughs> and he was like slamming a hot dog. I'm like, dude, you're like a heart surgeon. You're like slamming hot dogs on big white buns. He's, he's like, dude, just move, sleep, eat mostly healthy, and your heart's going to be just fine. Like, manage your stress. Yeah, yeah. like, it's not, it doesn't have to be a David Goggins type, you know, and I, I, I follow David Goggins all the time and I, I respect him and like I'm inspired by him, but also you don't need to be miserable all the time. Like that's totally. not my opinion anyway. And that was kind of the perspective I got from him. It's like, just be, have a balance, be healthy and you're going to be fine. Most mm -hmm. likely, you know, mm -hmm. obviously there's cases where that's not true. So I, I just, I, I find the, the conversation of balance and you, you mentioned it across all spectrums of your life. We all fall also like, especially us business owners, like it's hard to have balance because mm -hmm. all the weights on your shoulder, you don't have like a whole corporation to pass off stress to any, it, it's all your fault. And it's all, you know, any successes are you, you, you're accountable for those and, and your failures. There's no like, uh, you know, the blame game and like working yourself out of a bad situation, basically you have to deal with everything. So it's really hard to have balance because you're constantly like in offense and defense, like mm -hmm. nonstop in your sleep. When you wake up before you go to bed, it's hard to put down your phone. So like, how do you do that? Like you seem like a, a pretty well-balanced person. I didn't used to be, and I do feel like I'm getting better. Um, and to be completely transparent, um, retiring from fitness has allowed me to have better balance. Um, because I'm not somebody who can work closely with clients. Like I would work with clients for, you know, some of them years on end and you get to have this very close, personal, intimate relationship with them. And when they're going through trials, it was really hard for me to not almost face those trials with them. And so I found myself a lot more available on my phone and in my inbox a ton more than I am that I'm not working with coaching, you know, personal training clients, um, which is not to say anything bad about them. It's only speaking to how I process things. Yeah. Um, and so for me now, having a business where, you know, I have clients, I have business clients where I'm working with marketing partners and stuff, but I don't take that, you know, to bed with me. I'm not rolling around thinking at night about those things. And I found now, like yesterday, you called me 
uh, I was on the side of a mountain with my 12 year old kid that I may or may not have pulled out of school to go shed hunting on a date with him. So, you know, for me now, I'm like, we're going to go, you know, the projects, the deadlines can wait, you know, that falls on my shoulders to know that I'm on task or not on task. And then from there, I'm just like, life is too short. My, I really do feel like every day I wake up, wake up going, how can I bring joy today? Do I do that flawlessly? No, but that is always my MO. How can I bring joy to today? You know, whether it's with my 15 year old or, you know, a client or my, the community of social media, like, how can I bring some joy today? That's yeah. where I find balance. That's, that's, that's amazing. I, I, I need to learn from you because especially on the business side, um, you know, it's really, really hard to find that balance. I've gotten better too. I used to be a lot worse, you know, coming home at seven o'clock at night and, you know, being in the office by six or six 30 and stuff like that. I, I feel like I'm better at it. one of the things that I, I've done is, uh, and I told my buddy this this morning, who's kind of struggling with sleeping at night. I said, dude, you're like literally on your phone until 10 o'clock at night. You got to put mm -hmm. that thing down like two hours before you go to bed or mm -hmm. an hour, at least an hour. And he's like, dude, that's impossible. I'm like, no, it's not. Cause I figured out how to do it. And it was hard. I put it on a charger in a separate room, like an hour before I go to bed. And it's like the last time I look at it for the day and it does not ever enter my bedroom once it's like in the realm of nighttime, because sure. um, if it was, I would roll over and look at it right before bed and that, you know, the, the blue light, but I think maybe as we get older, we, we realize that, yeah, there's some, there, you just got to get the hell out for the day. And mm -hmm. I, I work with my dad and he's so good at it now. He's like 70 years old and he'll be like, peace out. I'm going golfing or fishing or whatever. And to me, some days when he does it, I'm like, dad, no, like we have so much going on today. You can't, he's like, don't even call me. <laughs> I love it. You know, he's like, whatever. Like I remember we were going through one really stressful situation a couple of years ago and, uh, I called him. I'm like, Hey, we got to jump on a conference call and deal with X, Y, Z, ABC. And he's like, uh, my phone's going to stop working here in about 15 minutes. I'm going fishing. And I'm like fish, like literally what you're going fishing. <laughs> He's like, yeah, and I won't be able to talk to you until like later this afternoon. I'm like, oh my God, how could you go fishing right now? And he's like, because fuck it. That's why. Like, he's like, it'll be fine and we'll work it out tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about it today. I'm literally not even going to think about it once. And I was like having a panic attack. So maybe it's something as we get older, like you, like, like you said, where you can just be like, it just makes it easier to unplug and, and realize that that to-do list is never going to end. So mm -hmm. it's up, it's up to you to figure out when you're going to just take breaks. Mm -hmm. I spent most of my life being wrapped up in the, the mantra that productivity val equals my worth. And so uh, I spent years with a, a to-do list that never got finished. And it was, it was just this, external expectation I was putting on myself because I wanted, I was a people pleaser and I wanted to make people happy. And I felt like if I didn't, if I wasn't miserably tired from the grind, 
I wasn't valuable as a human being. And I had to let that go. And I don't even know that there was a definitive moment where that happened. I think it was kind of just an evolution, like you were saying about getting older. And then in the last few years, I've watched a lot of friends pass away and I've watched um, young people go through cancer that took their lives. And I've watched my parent or my friends bury parents. And I'm just like, it's too, it's too short. It's too short. Coupled with the fact that I am not money driven, I'm experience driven. And so those things together, I think have kind of allowed me to let some of that go. And again, this is not a flawless thing. It is still work for me sometimes, but I think generally speaking, I'm here for the experience. And I feel like if I get too wrapped up in worry or overwhelm or overthinking or overburdening myself with to-dos that really don't fucking matter, I become miserable. When I'm miserable, there's no joy happening in my immediate circles, right? My friends, my family, my kids, my whatever. Mm -hmm. So that to me is very important. Again, don't do it flawlessly, but it is a work in progress. Yeah. the I didn't realize until my late 20s that to-do lists don't ever get done. Like they're great and I still use them a little bit less lately because they're kind of annoying. It's like you just keep adding to them and adding to them and adding to them and adding to them and adding to them. And my wife and I have had this debate before because she she's type A, like pretty organized and she's she struggles struggles sometimes with putting it down too. And uh, sometimes I'll just tell her, honey, that list will be there tomorrow. It's not, you're not going to finish it. And even if you did, you're going to think of three other things you could add to it. You know, what was really helpful for me is I stopped putting all the mundane, like email this person or, you know, the specifics. And I started waking up every day, just writing objectives. What do I need to accomplish today? You know, and then I look at those three to five things, maybe. And I go, what do I need to do to accomplish that? That to me has taken some of that, the burden of that never ending, never done to-do list. And it made it a little bit more, like I'm getting more done now by doing less things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So H- how do you become not money-driven? Has that always been that way for it's you? Always, I've always been that way. I'm, if I can just make enough money to, you know, have a, an adventurous lifestyle with my kids and mm-hmm. pay the mortgage and do those things, I'm happy. Uh, my fiance, on the other hand, is different, which I think is is a is a good aspect because he's a long term thinker. I'm a short term mm-hmm. in the now, live in the moment, so that's good balance for me. Mm-hmm. But I would say generally, like I've never really been a money driven person. Do I like making money? Sure. But it's not what, you know, keeps my mind going and keeps me from sleeping. Like, how do I make that next, you know, mm-hmm. whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've put a lot of thought into this one, just trying to figure out what that balance could be. Because I've always said, I'm, I've spent most of my life money broke and experience rich. Um, and I definitely would not trade that. Like, no, because uh, I know rich people that have had no experiences. Mm-hmm. Like, some of them have barely ever left the state. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, I do think money can be used as a tool 
well, money can be used as a tool for experiences, right? Definitely. I think mm-hmm. the problem that, and it's really, really, it's almost like the ring in Lord of the Rings. It's like, it's really, really easy to let it corrupt you because it's so powerful. Um, and, you know, for weird reasons, because we're humans. But I've, I've always kind of been seeking and trying to understand and maybe someday achieve like a balance of having, having enough money to where, you know, you're, you're safe, secure, fed, all the like life, like major life needs, but also to where you don't have to worry about the bills enough to be able to have the experiences for you and your family that you want which everybody's different for some people that could be, you know, your two week camping trip in the summer. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like, I want to travel the world with my family and that costs a lot of money. And so you, it's, it's just this weird, uh, adventure of trying to figure out what is that balance? Because in order to make that amount of money, you kind of do need to be a little bit focused on it because it's hard. It's hard to figure out ways to make enough money to travel the world with your family. But then it's like, if you're too focused on it, then you are money driven a little bit, but you're only money driven because you want more experiences. So it's like this weird push and pull. And there's a, the other day I had a a 21 year old uh, friend of mine, this kid in my office, who's a a local hunter here. And uh, he's kind of just trying to figure out his life. And uh, we were talking about this because I think, I think when you're 21, like, you just, you want to try to figure out a way to make quick money. It's like, I don't know, like I, I just want money right now so I can buy a big jacked up truck and, you know, a boat and uh, whatever, impress the girls, whatever. And I was trying to explain to him like the, the you're 21 with no strings, no kids, no girlfriend. You live with your parents. Uh, you can literally go do anything you want right now experientially, like make enough money to go travel, spend it all, go back, make more, go do whatever, travel, hunt, whatever you do, because you have your whole life to, to make money. Um, and it was, he's like, oh, that's a really good point. I'm like, dude, if you miss this window, you're going to end up, you know, you're going to get married. You're going to have a couple kids. Pretty soon you're going to have to keep that job. And it just gets much harder as you get older to do those things. And uh, I can't remember what magazine it was, but do you know who Kimmy Warner is? The, I think we've had this conversation mm-hmm. before. She uh, is a really inspiring woman in Hawaii who's, who's like a, uh, a spear fisherman, spear fisherman, fisherwoman. I don't know how you say it, but she's, <laughs> she's like an underwater hunter. How about that? But she was uh, featured in a magazine uh, last year about the rich. It was like this whole idea of it was like a, the 20, top 25 or top 50 richest people in the world, but it wasn't rich with money. It was like rich with experience. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was an interesting concept. But back to whatever point I'm trying to make, which is how do you find a balance between money and experiences? Because obviously they're both important. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? I think it's a, a I think it's a lifelong uh, search for balance. Again, I think really, truly, and I and I don't want to overstate the word balance, but 
I really ingrained in my DNA. I think that that is the the peacemaker between all of the conflicts, the financial conflict, experience or money or um, time or work. Like there's just, you just goals, eating healthy, fitness, weight loss, all the things just come down to balance. Like it really is just, you have to be pretty aware of who you are. And if you were to end up on your deathbed tomorrow, what would you regret not having done more of cliche? Maybe it is, but I remember like eight and a half years ago, my grandma had, she was battling pancreatic cancer and we knew it was getting kind of to the end. She knew it was getting kind of the end. And she pulled me aside and she had this sweet little mohawk. Her hair was just growing back. Just the cutest thing. I will never forget it. And she said, just promise me one thing that you won't get to the end of your life, wishing that you would have done more Mm -hmm. experience the things that you want to do, go to the places you want to go. And to some degree that has weighed very heavily on my experiences, but more so the experiences that I share and invite my family on. So from that moment, for me, it was every year we go on like a two week or more trip with the kids and we just take them to see new places. So we're always trying to cross off a new state or a new experience for them because I, I, I don't know if I'm doing it right, but I feel like if I were to end up on my deathbed tomorrow, I'm at least going to be very grateful for the experiences that we had. Will I regret that I don't have a ton of money in the bank to leave them? I don't think so. I think that I'm going to be happy that we got to share those things together because those are more priceless to me than a bank account. Yeah. I mean, that's the way I grew up. Uh, so I, I mean, I, that's definitely the way I lean to, but I'm trying to create, cause my, my parents always provided us with amazing experiences, but they blew all their money. So now, I mean, obviously they're fine. They're very lucky. Excuse me. But, um, I'm trying to find that balance too. It's like, if you do make money and you have money to give experiences is the perspective that you just dump it all into that or do you i i hate the word retirement i know i only the word the idea i like but yeah. it's 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 uh so like when people say do you have a retirement account it's like i have an account that you know that i'm i put money into for my later life but i don't i would be so bored if i wasn't doing anything so totally. like my, my whole goal is freedom. I want the freedom to do what I want. And that might be actually working on a project I'm excited about. It might be driving around with an RV. I don't know, but I want to be able to choose, right? And I don't want someone to tell me what year I can do that. I don't want to wait till I'm 65 either. Uh, I, want, I want to have the option earlier. Will I achieve that? I don't know, but I'm going to try. Yeah. And... So you're right. It's a <laughs> life's kind of an everything balancing um, act. And if you do sp- have the <clears throat> the opportunity to speak to people that are a lot older, you or even uh, dying for that matter, um, it seems like the message is pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just having this conversation with my wife 
the other day and uh it reminded me of similar to your story my grandpa he wasn't dying but he was like dipping into the depths of dementia so it was like mm. it was kind of the last of his mental health before he spent mm. like five years where he didn't even know who i was mm. um but i remember driving to town with him one day and i asked him you know what would be your advice for life he was probably 85 or 87 at this point and he said it is just so weird how fast it goes he's like I'm watching you like going on these hunting trips and like doing all this stuff. That was me like yesterday. And he's like, I'm so jealous, but just never forget. Like I was you yesterday. Wow. You know what I mean? And he's like, it goes so fast. And now that my daughter is, or my kids are, it's cliche, but it's true. It's like one day they're born the next day they're going off to high school. Um, it's a really, really weird experience that I think puts all this stuff into perspective and it like makes you back up and go, holy crap, maybe I don't need to work 10 hours a day. And maybe I do need to get out more. And maybe, because pretty soon, I literally remember when I was the same age as my kids and my parents were my age. And now my parents are 70, which is only 15 years before my grandpa said that those words to me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whoa, this is like light speed. This is all happening too fast, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, gray hairs start popping in, you know, you have friends, you lose some friends, yeah. people get divorced, you even see people lose children. Like it's a crazy mess. It really is. It really, it really is. And I remember <clears throat> I went through, you know, so I had my first son when I was 21 and then my next son when I was 24. And I, in my opinion, that's pretty young to be a parent, especially where I was. I don't, I feel like I was a pretty immature 20 year old. Um, and so for a lot of that, I felt like I, I found myself saying, gosh, I just wish we could get through this phase. I just wish we could get to this next thing. Mm -hmm. I just wish I could get to next year when this was going to happen. And I look at my son now who is six, four, he's 15. And I go, I wish you could be five again. Mm -hmm. I wish we could go to that little townhouse where we didn't have a kitchen table and we had so much joy because we Mm -hmm. were just together, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's funny because I think that kind of gives you some perspective in trying to just stay in the here and now. And I've not always been good with that. Like I was saying, I've, I've spent a lot of time, especially in the decades past wishing I could get to the next thing Mm -hmm. and not enjoying the pieces of life that I was in at the time. Yeah. Easy to do. Uh, I was thinking about, this is super nerdy, but I was thinking about the, like the being in the present the other night. And it's like the present is even a weird idea because the present, if you say like right now, well, right now is already gone. So it's like, time's always moving. And I think we're just programmed to always be like looking forward and it's good to, it's healthy to look forward to things. Right. But I think what you're referring to, we did the same things like, God, I can't wait till we get the kids out of diapers. God, I can't wait till they sleep through the night. I can't wait till we get a bigger house. Can't wait till we get a new car. Everything will be much better when I get a new job. You know, we all have this like constant, I don't know if it's more, 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 or just new, 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 or whatever this mindset is where you know 
I I don't know how, how healthy a heavy dose of that is. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it pushes you. Maybe the point of it, like evolutionarily, is is it pushes us to always find more safety, find better shelter, find better. I don't know, but I'm not a scientist, but. It definitely is there. I struggle with it all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, even if you look back, like I don't, I'm sure maybe you can share the same sentiments. Like you were in that little townhouse with no kitchen table. You know, you probably thought in that moment, God, I can't wait till we have a bigger house with a kitchen, fricking kitchen table. You know, so like, and then now you probably live in a house with a kitchen table, and you miss that little town. Like I do that little house. Mm-hmm. Isn't that yep. crazy? It's the irony of it, you know, because I think it it just, it highlights the fact that we all need to probably do a better job of just being present, whatever that means, and living in the here and now. Mm-hmm. Because, and I'm guilty of this every day of going, gosh, I can't wait until. Well, but what am I doing in the meantime mm-hmm. to create happiness or to... Uh, be cognizant of the blessings that I have to be really thankful for the positions that I'm in, mm-hmm. right? Those things I bypass a lot of times because I'm, I am looking forward at the next achievement, the next mm-hmm. adventure, the next benchmark. Let's talk about that. Like why, why are we obsessed with achievement? I mean, you come from the fitness world. Everybody's trying to get better six pack, uh, bigger biceps, you know, bigger, bigger, butt, whatever, better, butt. uh, what is that? And is it healthy? We'll get back to the show in just a minute, but I wanted to talk to you about my backcountry e-bike through Baku. It is absolutely a game changer, helps me go farther and enjoy the hunt longer. I think this is really a pivotal tool if you are in an area with lots of road access or areas that you can um, navigate trail systems to get in farther. Uh, The e-bike has really allowed us to get into places that would have taken us a lot more effort to get into. Head over and find more information at bakcou.com. You can also use the code HEROUTDOORJOURNEY to save a few hundred dollars on your new electric bike. This will be an absolute upgrade to your hunting game. Uh, Specifically in the fitness realm? Well, it's comparison. Is comparison healthy? No, it's not. If we lived in a world where the only people that you really saw on a day-to-day basis might be a neighbor, Mm -hmm. you know, out in the field across the way, we wouldn't have anything to try to be better. We wouldn't have an example of what we were trying to achieve. We wouldn't have something to be envious of or a six pack we were idolizing, but we do, we have that constantly it's the news it's the social media it's our even our friends groups even our family we have so much socialization mm-hmm. that it creates these pressures and i and i say this all the time do you want to achieve something based on what you want truly or based on something you think you should have do or be based on what you're consuming in your world are uh in the fitness world, it seems like, uh, you're always, you know, you're even the people that are shredded and they're in great shape. It's like the difference between wanting to be healthy. So you don't die early, like your heart's healthy, you're eating well, like 
as opposed to just trying to, like you said, maybe it is comparison. Like I'm just trying to get a good body to it, be attractive or look buffer than my buddies. But that's all. Does it all go back to attractiveness and sexiness? Do you know, you, do you listen to Jordan Peterson? No. Oh, okay. He's talked but, about that before where it's like, and I can't remember all the details, but he was talking about how, you know, if, if, if you're constantly chasing this body that you want, that you're comparing to other people's bodies, that traces back to our, our roots of like trying to be attractive to the opposite sex. So like if your buddy's got a better six pack than you and he's posted it on social media and you see it and it makes you feel like shit, it's because he's, you know, perceivably sexier than you and he's going to attract more mates. And this is all like stuff that I'm no expert on, but I'm just curious on what your perspective on that, or is it just because you want the body? I think there's a lot of different layers to that, but we're not elk, you know, we're not worried necessarily about breeding. Like, yes, those things might be a part of our history and our evolution, but at the same time, I do not feel like those are the motivating factors for people wanting to look better naked. We just, we all as humans, whether we admit it and it's all a spectrum, we all have a narcissistic personality trait somewhere in there. We want to look good. We, it is, it is about us, how we feel, how we look, how other people perceive us. It's based on insecurities. And so if we have this little insecurity about our midsection, or if we have this insecurity about the size of our boobs or the size of our butt or whatever it is, biceps, whatever, that's always going to get wrapped into a comparison, a not good enough, uh, trying to be better than. Is that psychological? Is that based on trying to reproduce? Probably somewhere in there. But at what point do we let that go and go, no, this is because we are so inundated as a society to having these ex external pressures and expectations and comparisons. Have you ever seen somebody get to the point where they're totally satisfied with their body? No. Don't you think that's interesting? Yes. I do. I do think it's interesting. Do I think people would be satisfied with their body if we lived in a different time? Yes. So you think social, you think social media has a, I don't just, think it's, I think it's media in general, Yeah. you know, from all, from all aspects. It's yeah. what we're hearing, listening to lyrics and songs. It's, it's everything. I can't just say it's social media that has not necessarily helped. Um, but I think if we lived in a different time, yes, people would be less concerned about what their body looked like and more concerned and appreciative of what their body was capable of doing. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like it's almost like, uh, could be a shitty analogy, but it's almost like money. It's like a fleeting target or like a moving target. Like I've noticed it even with myself, like when I get in the really good shape for me, my perception of myself doesn't necessarily change that much because once you get there, you're like, but what if I did this? It's the same thing we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. It's like, I can kind of see my abs now, but what if I could really see them? You know, what do I need? Well, and it's like, when, when I get there, it's like, but the, I don't know. I don't, and I'm just making up stuff at this point, but do you see what I'm saying? Well, what determines satisfaction? It's just, it's, it's a benchmark that does not have any real black and white. Mm -hmm. It's an opinion. 
are we satisfied? That is based on our opinion. Mm -hmm. And I think once something gets good enough, so to speak, then you go, okay, what's next? Mm -hmm. There's really never this cut and dry level of satisfaction. Is that good or is that bad? I think to some degree, it can be really bad. I think to some degree, like you said, it can keep us striving to excel and not get complacent and stuck. Because once you do get complacent and stuck, all those things change, right? Weight goes up, you know, finances go down, whatever it is. Tell me if you think this is true, because this is the only solution I've found to fitness for, for me. My number one objective is sustainability. What fitness program do I have where it pushes me enough to keep me healthy, but it doesn't push me so much to where my body, it feels like a piece of shit and I want to quit. So I, I, I don't get in three months and it's like, I'm done. I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the way I look at my fitness sustainability. If I can sustain this for long periods of time and always raise the bar a little bit, but not, not so much to where my, I need to go to the chiropractor every other day. And I don't quit for like three months periods because I get so burnt out. Is that a good strategy? I think that's a good strategy, but I think, you know, again, some of that goes into what we've written as a society is that fitness has to be grueling. It has to be hard. It has to push you to your limits. And I think we very much as a fitness industry lost this, uh, this mindset that it's a holistic level, right? Because you can be strong, but if you're not function, if your joints can't function, if you have no mobility, if you have no flexibility, how, how good is that strength going to, you know, where's that going to take you? You know, if you're not working on yoga and breathing, if you're not managing your stress, like there's such a, a bigger approach than just, you know, constant hit workouts or constant, you know, where you're just tapping yourself out. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of trends that can be good. There's also a lot of trends that I think make people feel like they are missing the bar if they're not, you know, you know, needing to see the chiropractor or if they don't feel that muscle soreness, do they really do something? And I think that that is a big part of where we've gone wrong in the fitness world is that, we've kind of uh, coached people into thinking that it's just about the hard stuff and it's not about the recovery. Well, and it's also never- about the competition. It seems like it's very competitive. Like even on my echelon bike, you know, every class I go to is a competition. It's mm-hmm. like, and they say, don't worry about where everybody else is on the list, you know, this and that, but they have the list. It's still there. And it feel, I mean, there's 2000 people. And then at the end, they'll be like, you are 1550 out of 2000. It's like, well, that makes me feel like shit. Uh, and luckily I don't care, but I bet you there's a lot of people out there that do care. And so it's like that idea of sustainability and, uh, just, I guess my mind shift changed on fitness maybe over the last decade because in my early life, especially when I used to lift a lot of weights, it was about being attractive for me. That was what it was about. I mean, I'm not like, it's the same reason I started playing guitar. Like I was, you know, I, I liked women and, and I thought they wanted someone that was like buff and sang on the guitar. And, uh, throughout that process, the music thing's different. I like totally changed my perspective when I actually felt in love with it for real and actually did it for real reasons. 
And then, uh, but fitness wise, as I've looked at people older than me that are really healthy, and as I know that I'm 41 now, I'm like, okay, I'm 29 years from being 70. Like that's freaking crazy. But if I look at people, I was talking to Will Primos on this show the other day. He's he'll, he turned 70 actually today. And he gets up and has for years at 3.30 in the morning. And he rides a bike, very low impact, a stationary bike, low impact and reads for like two hours every day. And then he's in, at work by six or whatever. And he looks like he did 15 years ago. Like he looks so healthy. Now, my point is, is now I'm starting to look at that. It's like, okay, like I'm married. She's got what she's got. I mean, (laughs) I don't need to be ripped, but I do want to like lower my risk of heart disease and heart attack and stroke. And that's the, it's just, I'm so old saying this, but that's, that's the stuff I think about now. So I look at Will and I'm like, I want to do that. Is that what I need to do? Just get up early, do some cardio, lift, lift moderately sometimes, do some stretching, eat well, read, keep your mind healthy, and statistically your odds go up of having a better life, a longer life. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I, I just was picking up on that and I didn't talk to Will. I didn't have this conversation, but he's managing his stress. He's living that that's peaceful. It's a peaceful lifestyle. Yes, it's highly regimented and he's moving his body with purpose, but he's managing his stress. He's investing in his cognitive health. He's, you know, tapping into all of those things that holistically make somebody a healthy person. Right. Mm. So I, I think, you know, and I spent a long time uh, killing my body. I mean, I was a half marathon runner for a long time and did races every chance I could get. And then I started competing and endurance stuff and triathlons. And um, from the outside looking in, I probably looked pretty ripped and pretty lean and I could run really fast and that was great. But I was I was taxing my body continually. And I think that's something that a lot of people miss is that exercise is still a stress to the body. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, your body just sees that as, as a tax, as a stress. And so if we're not balancing that stress, that, that input with stress reduction with things like reading or meditation mm-hmm. or prayer or quiet time or family time. For or, me, it's a nap. Oof, oh, nap sounds amazing. I, I think seriously, we, we, I want to talk about that, but keep going. Naps, naps are incredible. Naps are life for sure. Yeah. Uh, have you ever done a nappuccino? I want one. <laughs> well, try this today. So they say, drink a cup of coffee or whatever your, your, your caffeine source is. Okay. And then immediately lay down for a 20 to 30 minute nap. Because that's the t- amount of time that it will take for that caffeine to kick oh. in. So you wake up from the 20 to 30 minute nap feeling refreshed, but then your caffeine is also kicked in. So you're ready to go. Oh, Nappuccino. Wow. I want one. I, 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 yeah, no, I take, I take more naps than I'm going to admit on the podcast. I think that's incredible. You'll probably live a lot longer than a lot of us because of it. Well, I had lunch with a, a, a woman that works with me. Uh, a couple days ago and I didn't know this but 
because she, she, we were talking, it was like 1230 or something. She goes, I got to hurry up and get out of here because I have a phone call to make. Then it's my nap time. And she's like, she's 43, something like that. I'm like, you take a nap every day? She's like, every single day at two o'clock, I take a nap. I'm like, I love this because I'm scared to talk about it because everybody's like, you take a nap. I haven't taken a nap in years, you know, or, you know, like so tough. I take a nap probably four or five times a week. And anyway, so I dug into it. She, her, she grew up, her grandma, and this is like in very rural Eastern Oregon. Her grandma is 97 now and still healthy. And uh, she knew that she could not call or go to her grandma and grandpa's house between two and four because that was their nap time. And then at the end of their nap time, they would wake up and walk down to the end of the lane. And I just think that's so, that's such a, freaking peaceful life. And I, then I started thinking yes. about my, my wife and I's trip to Spain and they were like heavy on naps there. And I loved it over there. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I don't have any scientific proof to this, but um, I think it is one of the reasons I'm pretty healthy and I'm not aging as fast as some of my other friends is because I go to, I also go to bed at eight 30 though. I go to bed at eight 30 and I wake up at five 30. So what is that? That's, that's a lot of sleep for most people. Um, maybe that, maybe my, my, uh, hypothesis is not true, but I don't know. I'm just, it's just part of my physiology and I'm, it's just the way it is. But I, I tell my wife, that's my meditation. My mm-hmm. meditation is my nap. Cause mm-hmm. sometimes I don't even fall all the way asleep. I just lay there for like 20 minutes, close my eyes. I turn off my phone. I turn off, I get away from my computer. I put the dogs in a different room. I turn on a fan and I just have a half hour of peace. And I, I don't, for me, it's life. I feel more at peace just listening to that part of your story. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds amazing. That sounds so good. But there is a lot of data uh, that supports uh, that being a benefit to longevity, cognition, stress management, all the things, definitely. So naps are good. And I think, you know, like you said, you know, you talk to people that say, oh, I haven't taken a nap. And that goes back to our hustle society, mm-hmm. that if you have time for a nap, what are you really doing with your life? Like if right. you're not hustling and grinding it out and living in this fast paced, super stressful world, that are you really achieving enough? And yeah, that's and my, just my counter to that is is there's a difference between hustling inefficiently and hustling efficiently. This day and age, uh, you can be really efficient with your time, with mm-hmm. all the technology we have, just with a little bit of thought, thoughtfulness, and what and how you conduct yourself. I've had the opportunity to work a lo- around quite a few people that are expert operators in the business world. And I was not for a long time, total mess. And I'm still a mess, but I'm a lot better than I used to be. And I can get in five or six hours of work. I can get more than done than a lot of people can get done in two days. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how I find time to take a nap. I like to work like I'm going to go shed hunting when I'm finished. <laughs> it sounds so dumb, but that's my thing. I absolutely love shed hunting. So if I have a list, you know, sometimes, especially I've worked from home for a number of years. And so it can be easy to go like, okay, I'll do the dishes or I'll do this or I'll find other things or I'll do it in an hour or whatever. But I literally start my day going, okay, when I get this done, I can go shed hunting. That's and I'm reward. just like, 
it's it's a it's crazy how efficient and quick and you know diligent I can be when I have that thing that motivating factor that I can go and do. Now when it's not shed hunting season, I have to use something different. But right now, I'm in a good spot. <laughs> yeah, it's usually the people that are critiquing how much you're working are the ones that are the most inefficient, and they're just jealous because they can't figure out a way to organize themselves or they're so addicted to the hustle that they just can't get away from it. And they're also insecure and jealous about that. I've, I've been, I was just going to say that. Yeah. I've been critiqued my whole life. So is my dad, by the way, because I come from a family and actually most of my family, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My job at Sitka gear for 11 years was the most normal job. Any of my family members have had, and it's not a normal job. It's, it was obviously. And I remember in high school, my friends would be like, what in the hell does your dad do? I see him driving around at like two o'clock. You know, I see him, you know, go golfing on Thursdays. Does he even have a job? And it's like, uh, yeah, he owns his own business. He's an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur, this is kind of before entrepreneurship mm -hmm. became more mainstream. An entrepreneur, yeah. Well, what the hell, that, what does that mean? I mean, I got shit my entire childhood. And now, and my dad's, my dad always just brushed off and continued living his life. And uh, now, uh, same shit, you know, oh, you just, even when I was at Sitka and busting my ass, I mean, the first five years of Sitka were like hustle to the 120% degree. Like it was like constant hustle, 24 hours a day. Every, any and every day could be total failure and bankruptcy. Like it was really stressful. But even then, oh, you're just hunting. Like, you, you, you know, you, oh, I wish I could sell hunting gear. It's like, well, you could, A. And no, I'm not just hunting. And even if I am, so what? That's part of my job. Like, go get a hunting industry, you know, and then since I've left there, even having a couple of my own businesses, same thing. It's like, I'd love to see you work sometime. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I work nonstop, but I do it in spurts and I do it. I try to be efficient when I do it, but rarely do I have a day off. Like I can't just say I'm taking off for five days and I'm off. It's like, well, I mean, we're going to on a trip with the family for 12 days in June. I have to have internet. I can't just, yeah, I'm going to be in paradise, but I'm not off. Uh, so it's just, it's all perspective on how you look at it. You know, it's, it's yeah, definitely perspective. And I think that that is one thing that is really misunderstood about entrepreneurship is that it's for people that don't want to work or don't want to, you know, don't want to mm -hmm. have a, don't have good work ethic. And I think for many people, that's the opposite. You just see, you see things a little bit differently, right? You can create things to be a little bit more efficient. And I do have that question here and there too. People go, what do you work? Do you work? What's people your job? Me, what do you do? Well, they'll ask me if I work for one and then, yeah. And then they're like, well, well, what do you, what do you do? And, and, you know, I think sometimes, Cause for me, I'm like, wait, what do you, what do you mean? Do I work? Like, you know, cause for, in my life, I'm like, I, yeah, I, I'm always doing something. I'm always, you know, whatever. But 
I, you know, I just have to remember that that is a perception that I don't control for other people. And oftentimes they legitimately, I mean, it's just, it's, it was the, it was that perspective or that sort of outlook on life was never shared with a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's, so it's not malicious. It's like, they're just like, wait a minute, here I am busting my ass for a paycheck 10 hours a day. And Courtney's over here working out. Well, and I think that sometimes that comes from people's place of misery. Mm. A lot of people are not happy in their nine to fives or what they're doing. And so when we're unhappy with where we're at, we can start to critique or criticize or judge other people from where they are because it's where we actually want to be. So those insecurities, I think, can kind of fester up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to ask you about uh, the outdoors. So obviously you are, you, you love hunting and hiking and all the things, shed hunting. Um, was that part of your childhood or is that something you had to learn later? I mean, you grew up in a place, by the way, I've, I grew up in Oregon too. Courtney are both Oregonians. And I still could not point to where she lives on a map. That's how like rural <laughs> it is, uh, which I think is cool. I, I now live in a town that's got less than a thousand people. So I'm not critiquing it. I love it. But so you, I mean, you grew up in rural Oregon in the country. So I'm assuming you've always loved the outdoors. I have. Yeah. And fortunately, um, my dad did a really good job of nurturing that with me when I was young. So, uh, you know, not that I remember it by any means, but like, that's just what we did at six, six weeks old. I was on a deep sea fishing trip. Um, when I was just a toddler, I was running around deer camp and helping my dad, helping my dad get animals, you know? So I, that's just what I knew, fortunately for me. Um, and like I said, he just did a good job of nurturing that. Um, my mom and my sister were they're my mom likes the outdoors, but could probably do without it. You know, it, it's not a part of really what she needs to to fill her cup. And my dad and I were kind of always the misfits that felt a little differently. So, I mean, I remember even when I was like 10 or 11, he'd take me over to Eastern Oregon, which is probably from here about like a six hour drive. And we'd go for like a day and a half, you know, just to get out. And, mm-hmm. and he worked a lot. He owned his own business. I didn't understand when I was a kid that he was an entrepreneur, but now I know, you know, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, he just really instilled in me that the, the independence and also just like soaking up the resources that we have to be outside. Uh, which I'm super grateful for. His dad was a, a Idaho fishing game warden. Um, his his uh, biological father was a gunsmith, and so there was a lot of like hunting, outdoor gun shooting sports in my in my childhood. Definitely. On your website, uh, it says wildlife. What does that mean? Adventure, seeking the unknown. Uh, so let's talk about that because I'm fascinated on this subject. Why in the hell would anybody want to seek the unknown? Because I think that, I think we're all afraid to seek the unknown We're we want to be in control of things. We want to know what to expect, what's around the next corner. But I feel like that can brew some complacency in our lives that don't challenge us into growing. And the number one thing for me in my life that I feel like I always have to have is 
challenge, which on the surface, you know, it'd be nice for things to go easy and predictable and all those things. But I think I become just a really routine kind of robotic human being if I'm not being challenged. And I remember specifically my first trip, uh, my first sheep hunt in Alaska, and I really didn't know what to expect. And I had this envision in my mind of what it was going to be. And there's going to be animals everywhere. It was just like, you know, craziness. And uh, it was so empty and, and big. And I just felt like the most insignificant, tiny speck on earth. And it was soul filling. And I was like, wow, I am just, nothing cares about me out here. I am so unimportant. Like this is just big and wild. And that's kind of where that, you know, tagline, so to speak, came from is chase that wildlife. Because for me, it means chase the unknown, chase the adventure, chase the experience of challenging yourself and growing and learning. Because to me, that's where I've really when I'm in those raw moments outdoors, that's really where I, I understand my potential. I realize what I'm capable or what I've said I'm incapable of, and I can rewrite that narrative for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, adventure is one of those weird things that it seems like all of us want, but not all of us are willing to go out and grab. Uh, you know, we, we mo more natural it seems like we naturally want it but we more naturally seek comfort mm -hmm. and safety uh but just by definition adventure is something that you can't an experience you can't predict the outcome of or mm -hmm. like the the events within it um i call it the gray area mm -hmm. you know and it can be the the analogy can be drawn that everything including business ownership or marriage or hunting it seems like life is a big adventure whether you want to admit it or not you don't know what's going to happen the next minute or the next hour or the next day or the next year so you can either choose to kind of bury your head in the sand and try to pretend that you're in this safe cloak uh from all danger and change and challenge or you can embrace it and create what Hillary Lampers deemed, um, she told me, that is positive stress. Mm -hmm. Like, seek positive stress. And one form of positive stress is like seeking adventures. And obviously, for you and I, um, a great portion of that is through hunting in the outdoors. And uh, we've talked about this before, but when you're going on that caribou hunt in Alaska. Well, A, and this is with every hunt, which is the craziest thing about it. It's like you plan for sometimes years, you save for sometimes years, and you're going on this caribou hunt in Alaska. And in your mind, you want to have this fantasy, like you're going to land, like you're going to fly in and there's going to be like 2000 caribou migrating. And like, you're going to, you're going to land, set up camp and you know, the next, and you know, this, this fantasy. And but the reality of it is, is you're going into country where nothing cares about you. Actually, it doesn't want you there. Mm -hmm. um, and most likely, most of the, the seconds within that week-long trip are going to be filled with failure and misery and sleep deprivation and dehydration and hunger and coldness 
and sweat and dirt and grizzly bears and wolverines and rivers and a you know a, a plane ride that may or may not get the you know there's all these dangers and unknowns mm-hmm. but that's also what makes it amazing but if you actually stay oh and then also you're more than likely going to fail the whole time anyway and, and statistically not even get anything so the whole point so if your point of going there is to kill a caribou because like this fantasy you have in your head well that's kind of a shitty goal it's like i think we're oftentimes dishonest with ourselves as hunters like a more realistic goal for a great percentage of us is to go yeah i would like to kill a caribou but why am i really going because i want the adventure i want i need the adventure i Mm -hmm. i have to have it because if i don't Mm -hmm. have it i'm mentally depressed Mm mm-hmm and if mm-hmm. I don't, and it's, it's not even necessarily like I need, like looking forward to it is just as important as actually doing it. I need to have the adventure planned. I need to have it planned because I will live in that adventure the whole time, the, the, the time following up to it, the time while I'm there and for years after, like that adventure is part of me. I need it. Um, I think we would be much more honest if we just admitted that. And I also think that uh, most people need it, but a lot of people are too scared to, to sort of soul search and figure out that they need it. Or maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. I could be wrong. But. Or, or maybe they haven't had that experience yet where they go, oh, this is a big component I've been missing. Mm-hmm. Is this the unknown experience and adventure? Uh, for me personally, I, you know, I've been hunting a long time. I've been hunting since I was 11 and, and with, you know, with my own tags and uh, being a part of that. Uh, I, I could never shoot another animal in my life and be 100% fine with it. That is my truth. I don't have to shoot the animal. That to me is the most insignificant part of it. Not as I, I don't take that insignificantly as far as taking the life. But for me, that's the most unimportant part of my experience. Mm. I need to be there. I need to watch animals in their natural habitat. I need to have the challenge of the mountain. I need to have those moments where I go, shit, do I have what it takes to get up and down this mountain? Those parts for me, and it works out really well for Dustin because, you know, I tell him all the time, yeah, we can go there and do that hunt. I don't care if I hunt it, you know. I'm just mm-hmm. just being there in that in that moment for me is soul filling enough. Yeah, I, I, ironic story. So <laughs> in 2015, I got the opportunity to go stone sheep hunting. Um, and for those of you who don't know, stone sheep hunting in North America is probably like top three most expensive uh, aspirational hunts there is. And one of my friends before I went who had done it before said, I'm just going to tell you one thing. It was a 10 day hunt. I had planned and tell you one thing, hunt all 10 days. And when you pay a lot of money for a hunt, you have this weird conundrum in your head. It's like, 
I paid this much, meaning I'm not going to ever get to do this again. So I better get one. But also, I don't want the adventure to end early. So like, what if I see one on day one? That's like, cool, because you're lucky you, you, you succeeded. But also not cool, because you put all that money into one day. And the adventure could have been much more. So anyways, long story short, I got up there with my friend Dustin Rowe, uh, who's an amazing person and one of the best sheep hunters that's ever lived, in my opinion. And uh, I brought my recurve bow, but I had it, and then I had a rifle, which also never do that because you're going to shoot the rifle. But I had my bow broken down in my backpack and day number two, we saw a ram that, I mean, it was the one for sure, but we lost it. So we went back to camp and decided to go after the next day. But at camp, I was like, oh my God, I, I know that I can probably sh- shoot this ram tomorrow morning, but it's like day I mean, we just got done with day two. We had just gotten back to the, the we're actually dust. We were uh, 10 miles from the lake we landed on, but we had just got to the point where he actually wanted to start hunting. Like there was a whole nother, I don't even know how many miles of wild country he wanted to go. And he pointed to it. He's like, dude, I still want to go over there. He's like, we can go kill that ram. But over there is where I really wanted to take you. And so... So I had that decision, but then I also had the decision, do I want to bet on myself and try to accomplish this with my recurve bow? Or if we find it, am I okay killing it with a rifle? And so all night I was like tossing and turning, like kind of stressed out because I know I'm not going to, this is a fleeting moment of my life. Like this is, I can't, I can't afford to go stone sheep hunting maybe ever again. Um, And I knew that. So I woke up the next morning and I decided that if we found the ram, I was going to try to take it. Um, but I still hadn't decided on the rifle bow thing. So we get up there and we're glassing for hours. We find the ram that he was with, but we couldn't find the ram. Finally, at like one or two in the afternoon, and this is in August in uh, northern BC, right on the border of the Yukon, and it's light. M- for a long time, but I think we found the Ram around 2 PM, but he was way down in this Rocky basin. And, um, so this is now to the point where I, okay, now I got to make the decision. I've already made the decision that I'm willing to end this adventure early. If the Ram gives me a chance, cause I know once we kill it, we have to go, we have to start preparing to fly out because, you know, meat spoiling and all that. And Dustin's got better things to do than just sit there and let me, you know, watch me camp pay. out. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's rolling, you know? So, um, this Ram, he gets up out of, there was no way to get after him where he was. So he, he gets out of this boulder pile and he's, he kind of starts walking up the mountain towards us. And Dustin goes, David, pull out your bow, put it together. And he's like, in the next eight days, I will get you a shot at that Ram. I'm like, Oh my God. I mean, in, in the Ram's coming up the mountain and we had a way to get in position where he was going to be like a hundred yards. And I just remember sitting there going back and forth, back and forth. And I ended up 
Dustin asked me several times. He's like, dude, just take your bow out, get your bow out. And I'm like, God, dude, but I, I, but with the caveat, he also said, get your bow out. We can do this. We'll, we'll make it happen. Well, you'll at least get a shot. But he's like, also, I have to be honest. We may not even see another legal ram because in the, in the two and a half days we'd been in there, we'd seen seven sheep, one legal ram. And that was the one we were looking at. So in my mind, I'm weighing all these things. Um, and anyways, I chose the rifle and I, I killed the ram and we, the next day we hiked out, we actually took three rams in, in three days. Cause there was a couple other people in the next base and we all met up, we all hiked out. We had this historic experience of hiking out with three stone rams and on a beautiful day, 10 miles down to this unbelievably gorgeous lake with a white sandy beach turquoise water with this old broken down boat on it for anybody that follows me on social media you can look back to some of these pictures they're it's still one of the best days of my life and the reason i'm telling this long-winded story is because looking back i wish i would have just brought the bow out and not because i i need to like feed my ego but the bow would have required more days and the bow would have, maybe I could have filled the trip out. Like I could have stayed all 10 days up there because I'm never going to see that country again. And it was incredible. So, but also I wouldn't trade that day packing those three Rams out to that beautiful unknown lake for anything. Mm-hmm. So it's like this weird, like you were, I was successful based off one metric, but, and the, it was still an adventure, but it, this, this adventurous side of me is like, yeah, but it could have been much more of an adventure. Like we could have been up there, Dustin and I, I had the chance to spend the next eight days with the best sheep guide there is trying to get this ram with a recurve. So now I, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night, like craving being back up there in that country that I was in. And I am going to make it happen that I'm going to go back up there and Dustin knows this and I will not be taking a rifle and I'm taking 14 days and I want to use all 14 of them. So Dustin, if you're listening, we're going to, we're going to go up there. We're going to make that sheep wait till day 14. And then I'll, I'm just kidding, obviously, if it happens. <laughs> but the, you get my point. It's a weird, yeah. it's a weird problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking I'm listening and I'm also thinking about the uh, the trip that I took with my my son this year. So it was our first time really taking him. He's been hunting and camping and recreating a lot, but we did a, a fly in. It was supposed to be caribou, but it turned into a moose hunt. And uh, you know he's twelve. It, it was relatively easy in the fact that we got to fly in, so we're not packing all of our crap with us, you know, for that part of it. And uh, the experience is different when you got your kiddo there for sure. And there was just, there were, and I knew that going into it, I knew it would be a little bit different, but I did have that, that moment where I thought I want him to soak up every piece of this. You know, I I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to leave early. I don't want to, you know, just only have good weather, whatever, you know, you want to, the mm-hmm. full picture, the full experience. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes you can almost feel to some degree a little gypped 
Mm-hmm. If you don't get that full experience, mm-hmm. you know, like you were saying, yeah, you invest time and money and, you know, sacrifice sometimes from leaving your family mm-hmm. or all those things that you go give it to, give all of it to me. Right. You know, let me have this, this full, real raw experience. Yeah. And I remember one aspect of that story that I didn't say is right before I left, we decided to try to buy a new house. So I was like negotiating the contract over my Delorum. So that was stressing me out too. So there's always this push and pull and, and mm-hmm. anybody who follows me, I have, I have, I, just, I have wrote a song about it. It's called altitude. And it's like this push a pull between needing that adventure, but also needing to be home. But if you have just one or just the other, you're not complete. Mm-hmm. So it's like, again, it's like a balancing act. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, that- I, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I've never figured it out because I just have a wife that's very understanding, but I, I step over the line still, you know, every once in a while I, I go on a trip. I'm, I probably shouldn't go on or I stay a little longer than I should have, or, or sometimes I'll come home earlier than I should have. And I was worried about things that aren't real. So, oh my gosh, you're speaking in my language right now. That is, yeah. that is me, you know, on those, you know, whether I'm traveling for work or I'm traveling for adventure or I'm on a hunt, you know, as a mom, I'm always, I'm always very aware of the fact that if I'm there and they're not with me, I'm missing that piece of their life. I'm missing those days. I'm missing that two weeks or whatever. And there is that tug, there is that pull. And of course, I think sometimes we make those stories up like, well, I'm missing this, or I'm not there. Or they're probably feeling this way. And then you get home and it's just life is normal, right? They just hope that you had a good time. And yeah. And you get back and you're like, well, shit, I guess if it was normal, then I could have stayed. <laughs> you rushed yourself right out yeah. of the experience. Yeah. 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 No, I, I've, I've been guilty of that so many times. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit earlier. You mentioned, uh, you know, so you retired from being in fitness and now you're, you're sort of setting on this entrepreneurial path where you're in marketing and all the things you're doing right now. Um, but that identity, that identity, I don't, can I call it an identity crisis? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I feel like I, I can say these things because I've gone through that exact thing before. And I know a lot of people that have, but most people seem like they're scared to talk about it or admit it or whatever. Sure. Uh, there's probably a lot of people out there that are going through a similar thing uh, where they've, they have to make a change in their life. Uh, in whether that's work or whatever. And we, we seem to build these personas in our heads of who we are, right? Mm-hmm. Like I am Dave Brinker that, that works at Sitka. And if I don't work at Sitka, then I don't have an identity anymore. Or I am mm-hmm. whoever that does X, Y, Z. I'm a, I'm Joe Blow. Who's a, I'm a carpenter and a, you know, a, a, a tough guy with a big truck and that's all I am. And that's all I'll ever be. And it's like, see, everybody gets to a point where things change and like, we all kind of got to, our, our personas are fluid and our mm-hmm. identities have to be fluid. Otherwise that's pretty, un- that's not adventure. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, uh, you hit the nail right on the head for me. And and you and I have spoke personally um, on this topic a bit. And I actually just totally out of the blue called you. And I said, help, I'm having this identity crisis because 
I really want to retire. And this, this was not something that just happened abruptly. It had been planned out for a lengthy amount of, you know, a couple of years. And I'm like, if I'm not Courtney, the fitness chick, who am I? But what I didn't realize was, you know, I live in a small town. I grew up next to a small city. Uh, This is what I've done. This is a staple of who I am. This is a big part of my life personally and professionally. But that was a box I put myself in. And I felt like there was almost some uh, inadequacy or uh, correlation to shame to watch my life evolve, to not stay who I was. So for, for an example, when I first started my own fitness business, it was called uh, Finish Line Bootcamp. And it was, uh, it was, I had young kids at the time. And so we did boot camp in the park. It was all, we would use equipment, we would use whatever, but it was moms working out with babies or toddlers. And then as my own kids grew, that evolved and changed. That seemed so seamless to me. That was perfect. And I think sometimes what we, what we lose sight of is that we're not the same person we were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. We are expected to evolve as human beings and mature and grow. But if we're doing that professionally, I think, and maybe I'm only speaking for me or a small circle of people, but I think that there's almost some identity mishaps. I think that you can you can second guess yourself. You can uh, put yourself into a, a small box when you're not meant to be there. You're not meant to stay that person that you were 15 years ago. And for me, that's where my mindset had to change and going, there's no shame in evolving and growing and demanding more challenge and and in learning in your life, that was just something that was in my head. Mm -hmm. So uh, once I got clear on the fact that it's okay to change and we should change over time, Mm -hmm. then it became a no brainer for me, but that doesn't mean it was easy for sure. No, it's awful. It's, Mm -hmm. but I, I wonder if it's awful because we're worried so much about, how this persona being perceived by other people. Like, I wonder how much it actually has to do with what we think of ourselves or actually what we think other people think we are. So like, for example, Mm -hmm. I'm Courtney, the fitness chick. Everybody knows me for this. Like, this is what I do. So if I come out and I say, I'm Courtney, the whatever, the chef now or the author or whatever, I think sometimes we like imagine like worst case scenarios with people. It's like, well, no one's going to understand Definitely. that. Courtney, the fitness chick. And I think, so I just wonder, because like I said, I went through, I've, I've been through several different phases of, I mean, I grew up in a small town too. And when I told my friends that I was going to leave someday and do bigger things, they're like, whatever, dude, get a job at the mill, buy a truck, find yourself a local wife. You know, you're not going anywhere. You can't leave here. What are you talking about? You idiot. You know? <laughs> and uh, I would start to question whether they're right. Mm-hmm. I would start to question, maybe I am David Brinker from Dallas, Oregon, who got a 1.8 in high school and who drinks beer and lives with his parents and doesn't ever do anything. You know what I mean? Like, what mm-hmm. if I, maybe, the, maybe they're right. So I, anyways, I wonder how much of that was 
you putting that pressure on yourself? Well, it's definitely you putting the pressure on yourself, but was it because you were worried about what other people thought or was it because it was actually true? It was absolutely both for me Yeah. Uh, because it was just the narrative that I kept telling myself since I was 17, fitness is what I know. Fitness is what I've mm. done. So that is a very narrow-minded way of thinking because in that part of my fitness life and in building my business, I wore a lot of hats and I realized that there are things I really enjoy doing, some things I'm good at, some things I don't like, some things I'm not good at. And so I just clung to that is who I am as a person. The other side of that is that social pressure. And I think for me, what I've seen And I almost, I was like, gosh, I don't want people to think this because for me personally, there's, there's, I will, I will be very honest and say, it kind of irks me when you see somebody come out and now they're the expert at something they just started doing two months ago. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so I think that we do live in a, in a time where you can just build and create and be the expert on anything that you want or made up, right? Which could be good or bad, I guess. But I was worried that if I go into following my passion in, you know, media and PR and marketing, that people would be like, well, she's just another one that just all of a sudden is this guru and something she doesn't even have a degree in. So there was, you know, and still is, I guess, probably if I'm being very honest with myself, that there's you almost feel like an imposter when you step out of one role and try to navigate into a new role. You're like, who the fuck am I? Well, and I've, I've learned that when you feel that way, you should take even a harder look at it, doing it because that means you're actually doing something different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That feel, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, I feel that way about everything that I do all the time. Mm-hmm. but and i think you might have asked me one time uh you know you're, you're a musician you're a hunter you're blah, blah you know you have a podcast and all this stuff or do you ever worry about you know never being great at anything and being okay good at some things right and uh my answer is is i'm totally fine with it because i've never been too interested in and I'm glad there are people interested in being the greatest thing ever at one thing because they're really fun to watch, whether they're athletes or whatever. But I've just never been that way because I find adventure in in doing things that I'm I kind of I am an imposter into. I mean, when I put out my album a few years ago and I went went to Nashville and did all that stuff, I don't. I take a lot of critique. You don't even live in Nashville. You don't even take this seriously. You know, if you took it seriously, you'd live here and do it every day. Like I do it. It's like, well, that's great. And I'm glad you do that, but that doesn't mean that I can't do it. Right. And what does my life have anything to do with yours? Um, I'm going to do it how I want to do it. You don't need to listen to it or buy it or even buy into it. I don't care. I'm going to have this podcast. I'm going to, Whatever project it is, I find adventure in like it actually energizes me. And maybe that's a good thing or maybe it's a bad thing. I don't know. But I think I think you're probably similar. And but you do have to get over the fact that you are 
constantly going to fail and hit bumps. Mm -hmm. And like, it's like, if you're a perfectionist, it's really hard to rewire your brain towards like, I don't, I don't know how the hell to record a song, but I'm going to go and figure it out. I'm going to find people. I'm not going to figure it out. I'm going to find people that will help me figure it out. And I am going to look like an idiot sometimes. And I am going to not know lingo and all these things. Mm -hmm. I'm totally fine with that because this is an adventure and it's exciting. And I, and I'm confident enough in myself to not let it bother me enough to really get at me. You know, I love that, you know, easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think when you let go of the expectation of needing to be the master at something, life's a little more fun. You know, and then when you realize, you know, you can hire people to do the things you're not good at. Perfect. By the way, you can hire masters. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the trick. Yeah. Believe me, Elon Musk is no rocket master. I mean, he, he will even tell you before he started SpaceX, he didn't know anything about rockets. What did he do? He learned enough to be dangerous and then hired a bunch of brilliant people to build Mm -hmm. SpaceX. Yeah. Elon Musk was not a car maker. He doesn't know anything about cars. He learned enough to be dangerous, then hired a whole company of people that can figure it out. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, uh, uh, it's this, I don't know. I could be wrong here, but it almost seems like it's this release of anxiety of people's opinions and being wrong or even looking like a dumbass sometimes. You know who I think does a really good job of it and ironically has also found a way to be pretty masterful at a lot of things, multiple things, is Joe Rogan. You know, if you look at Joe, he's so humble. He's, he'll, he, he says it all the time. I, I, I'm a moron. Like, don't listen to me. I'm just a, like, I'm a pot smoking moron. But, He's got the number one podcast in the world. He, he's like one of the main uh, uh, media people in the UFC. He's a, one of the top comedians there is. Blah, 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 on and on. Oh, he's a, a multi-degree black belt in jiu-jitsu. On and on and on and on. And I've been trying to figure out for years, trying to learn from that for years. And I think mm-hmm. what it is, one of my theories is, is, He's so curious, he can't help it. He's so curious. It's like approaching the world uh, from a perspective of like, I do this one thing and I'm better than anybody and everything else is stupid. It's like turn that all around and be like, I am overwhelmed with curiosity of all things. And if like jujitsu, I want to learn that. And then he takes it really seriously, like super seriously and goes all the way to the end. And he's like, now I'm curious about comedy does that so i just think maybe if we all and i i struggle with this too it's like maybe had more curiosity maybe we'd be less worried about people's opinions and be just the the need for to seek answers and learn new things would trump what we like all these stupid anxieties we have well i think if if we spent a little more time just being genuine and authentic with it yeah. Not showing up as the expert, showing up just being like, hey, I'm going to dive into this right now. I'm new at it. I don't think a lot of people are willing to be new at it. And when you do that, the people that are really good at it are much more likely to help you than if you... Uh, uh, I, I can speak most authentically on this 
from a hunting perspective, because I have been hunting since I left the womb and it's probably the thing that I'm the best at out of the things that I do. And I also have now a pretty full career in the industry. So I know it pretty inside and out. I can smell inauthenticity from like a mile away with just a few words. Like you could say a few (laughs) words and I can, I can tell whether you're authentic or not, but I don't judge until someone tries to come off like they're like the greatest thing since sliced bread. Then I I get judgy. Mm -hmm. But if you say, uh, David or anybody, I tell people this all the time. If you want to like, Hey, I'm getting into elk hunting. What do I do? Like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to buy. I'm like, well, the first thing you do is you just admit that. And you go to people in your local area that you want to learn from and you go, I literally have no idea what I'm doing and I do not expect you to take me, but is there anything you can do to help me? Like, mm-hmm. uh, can I, sh- can I come out and shoot my bow with you sometime? You know, if you're ever going out for a hike to not to one of your spots and like just anything, I'm just seeking information. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a nobody as opposed to, uh, the guy that walks in like onto the ski slope with all the nicest stuff or into the bow shop with all the nicest stuff and like speaks a huge game, but literally it's like an empty barrel. There's nothing in there and it's all ego Mm -hmm. and and insecurity. No Mm -hmm. one's going to want to help you. No one wants to be around you. Um, And for God's sakes, if you're new to hunting, don't tell, ask people for their spots. That's the number one killer. If you ask people for their spots, they will, they're never going to help you with anything. They don't want to give yeah. their spots. There's a lot of things they'll give up. Spots, not one of them. Yeah. So break the news to you guys. If you're new to hunting, you're going to have to find your own spots. But guess what? There's never been more resources to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so plug for gohunt.com. And like you said, a lot of people that are willing to help point you in the right direction. It just has to be yeah. approached the right way. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. So anyways, I don't even know how we got into that. C- Courtney, uh, where can people find, find, find things about you? Websites, social. Yeah. So it's going to be across the board, her outdoor journey, mm-hmm. um, uh, her outdoor journey.com or on Instagram, uh, primarily over Facebook. I am on Facebook a little bit, but, um, if you have questions or want to reach out or send a message, uh, you can do it through Instagram. And you have, uh, out, outdoor ladies camps coming up. Is that correct? I do. Yeah. So actually it's pretty fun. This is our fourth year doing it. Um, this year we're hosting all here in Oregon, uh, in fall Creek, beautiful, uh, Pacific Northwest, right at the foothills of the Cascades. Great area. Um, we're doing archery one and two. So for brand new beginners, you already have a bow. Maybe it's been passed down. You just haven't spent a lot of time with it. We want to get you familiar with your bow, with your draw cycle, um, even tuning your bow, shooting past 20 yards. And then level two, which is going to be for somebody who wants to do a little bit more situational shooting, more long distance, um, and then, you know, getting your broadheads on, getting dialed in for broadheads, that kind of thing. And this year, I'm really excited because we added a backcountry experience camp. So what I hear a lot from women, this is a common theme, uh, I really want to go out hunting. I don't have anybody to take me or I really want to go hike, but I don't feel comfortable doing it 
alone. Uh, so the backcountry experience is just trying to help people understand a little bit how uh, to do it, the ethics behind it, how to you know have trail safety, uh, what to do in those situations. So that is all available. You can see that on uh, heroutdoorjourney.com. Uh, most of the camps are sold out. The backcountry experience does have a few spots left in it, but huge advocate for pointing women in the right direction when they're wanting to get started, whether that's rifle hunting or archery hunting, or just really getting outdoors and exploring. I love rec and I, I think that there's so much uh, to be learned and uh, you can really find yourself when you get off grid. So happy to help in any way possible. That's cool. I love those things. And it seems like these are becoming more prevalent like there's uh we're all for so long we we kind of went all virtual and now these more in-person events and you know camps and hikes and summits are are mm -hmm. they're super fun and cool so I, I would encourage anybody out there that hasn't done anything like that um find something that fits you whether it's courtney's uh, events she's putting on or like the Western hunting summit or elk shapes summits. Like these are all so awesome and they're worth every single dime. Um, you will learn so much and, and, uh, and have an experience that lasts forever. So Courtney, I appreciate you coming on today and it's always a good conversation and I imagine we'll do this multiple times. Oh, Dave, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and, uh, glad to, glad to know that you finally have a show coming out. It's been a while. It's yeah. been a while coming. Well, uh, It'll be exciting when it does come out. We're, we're recording this. What is it? March 2nd. Mm -hmm. So people probably won't be listening to, to this till later this spring or even this summer, but yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. I, I just love talking to people, uh, that I can learn stuff from. So appreciate well, you, you. You always have rich insight. So the appreciation well, goes both ways. I'm going to steal a line from Joe Rogan. No one listen to what I'm saying. I'm a total moron. Once again, thank you for tuning into the show. We hope that your cup is full and you're ready to embrace your untamable vibe. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a favor? Help us grow our audience by sharing your favorite episode on social media, sending the episode to a friend and leaving us a review online. We love to hear from you. One more thing, be sure to press that subscribe button and never miss a weekly episode. See you next week.